Oh, the year was 1778. How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. A letter of mark came from the king to the scummiest vessel I'd ever seen. God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold. We'd fire no guns, shed no tears. But I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 104 of the Upper Discussion <laughs> Podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. I'm Tom Zalatni. My name is Tim Blay. We've got a special guest in the studio with us today. Hey guys, I'm Dale, Dale Bernier. Bernier. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that little shanty. I want to get con- as close to your uh, sure. top screen as, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I've been considering taking that song and doing a very Canadian parody. What would that be? Um, I don't know, I think I'm doing about... about Frederick Banting and the discovery of insulin. Um, it's going to be, I, I don't know. It's still in the working phase, but it might be very tragic. Anyways, stay tuned. Where I, did you pick up on that song? Um, I don't know. It was. I think I first heard it, CBC back in the day did like a hundred best Canadian songs or something. It was like a, a countdown over the course of many weeks. And that song ended up like number four or something. And I was just like, it's Stan Rogers. I don't know if you you know of him, but... I know the name. Yeah. yeah. I grew up it's in like, a very small town where a lot of music like that came yeah. came around. It's like, yeah, just, I mean, he was, I think it was like 1940s or 50s or something, but he wrote in the style of these like really old sea shanties and stuff. And oh, I don't know. It's a really cool feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're a small town boy? Yeah. I'm from a small town in Northern Ontario called Blind River. Blind River. I feel like, who do we know from Blind River? No, you just know the band Blind Melon. I do. It's not That's, the same thing. Nope. No. <laughs> we know it. we know people from <laughs> Turtle Lake um, in Saskatchewan. How, how did these places get their names? Do you know the story of Blind River's name? Blind River's name, uh, I believe it's like taken from a Native American um, like name that is then transferred into the fact that the, the river was supposed to go in one direction, but it ended up like splitting off all over the place. Hmm. So then I think it had originally had, like I said, a Native American name turned into Blind River, but m- that's the only thing I've ever heard is that it was supposed to like go straight down a certain way and it broke off into all these places, so they called it the Blind River. That could be, I don't Just know, like, that could be bullshit, know. but <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. That's fair. I Yeah, I guess that's like, I don't know if I'd go blind if that, like, that, that wouldn't be the first word I'd go for. With like a branching out river. Well, it's like bl- it's like a blind alley, right? How you like you go down a blind alley and you don't know what's at the end because it turns and then you might die. There might be a, a guy with a a bomb at the end. But it doesn't like or whatever. Sp- a blind alley doesn't like split. I think it, I think the concept is that it's blind, so it doesn't know where it's going. Oh. So it's oh. just going to go everywhere that it wants, and when it should have just gone straight down into, you know, I guess uh, yeah, into maybe Lake Huron. Hmm. Well, rivers do tend to not have eyes. That's that's true. <laughs> like my grandma used to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. How's you guys' weeks going? Yeah, I'm tired, but good. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, I've been working on this show. Tell us about which it. Is why I'm here. <laughs> oh, uh, also to hang out with you guys and hear that song. That was a real treat. We uh, yeah, we're we're good company, but we know why you're really here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Give us your big corporate plug. Yeah, uh, big corporate plug. Uh, doing a show called Troubadour. Uh, I'm a teacher uh, and a uh, performer at Montreal Improv, as Tom knows. Tom is a student there. Maybe not a student anymore. I yeah, still take I, classes. I had my last Narrative 2 class today. Oh, cool. Today? Not today. Sunday. Saturday. Gotcha. Okay. 
What day is it? Today is Tuesday. Monday. Today's I don't Monday. know. Today's I've, Monday, guys. I was asleep until 5 p.m. today. <laughs> <laughs> so Either way, I, I'm still technically a student. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think. So well, you're techni- till my grad show, right? What's that? Till, till the grad show. Till your grad show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't You've know. You've had what a I'm couple of grad that. shows. You're, you're yeah. nearing the end right now. Yeah. Your next step is uh, making your own team. I guess. Which you're sort of kind of doing with. Uh, and then, then the step after that is what to like gun after your job, and then just yeah. be around forever. I'm gonna yeah, steal just hang Darryl's around skin. forever. Just stay forever. <laughs> mm. Just perform. We have lots of opportunities to perform, so that's yeah. it. Just go up there and do some improv. So, yeah. So I'm working on this show, Troubadour, and that is the concept for that is um, we're gonna have a live musician, musician. I'm a, I'm a I think I said that wrong. I'm a, I'm a musician, <laughs> musician named Jesse Daniel Smith, and he's gonna do some songs. And we're going to do some improv based off those songs. And that's coming up this Friday, 10 p.m. Cool. Montreal Improv. Montreal Improv. That's a late slot for a show. It's a late show, yeah. Well, I want it to feel like a party. I want it to have like a, a real uh, vibe. So if people want to go out, have some drinks and stuff, and then come later, that would be cool. Uh, I want it to be more than just sitting there watching a show, kind of like getting involved. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how I wanted to clap along to your song at the beginning. You could have. You I totally could. I, I felt like I that. couldn't. I felt like I just wanted to take it in. I would have accepted harmonizing <laughs> or pounding one's drink on the table. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be appropriate. Probably would have messed with the microphones. Though. I wouldn't have accepted that's what I was pounding drinks. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, so the idea is just to have him play some songs and uh, have two different groups of improvisers uh, mixed with students and teachers and people who've been around for a long time. And uh, that's the idea. Yeah. Hmm, sweet. That's cool. Yeah, like, it should be fun. This is I, the first time I prom- uh, produce a show. And I wanted to mix music with improv because those are those have been like my two passions for the last all my life. Hmm. Are you a musician? Yeah, I used to play guitar. I used to play bluegrass guitar. Oh, sweet! So I used to play at Grumpy's and uh, play around town. And I stopped doing that. Started taking improv classes. Now I still noodle around with it, but I don't play very much. But I love listening to music, and I thought, oh, I'm going to try to put these two things together if I can. Sweet. Hmm. Yeah. Well, music—I mean, music can be very improvisational in itself, right? Depending exactly, on the style. Exactly. Yeah. Especially jazz. Mm. Jazz is like based around improv in a way. Did you did you used to do those those like bluegrass, like they do these bluegrass jams, right? Where you get like twenty people in a room and they all know the same songs somehow. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, that's something that they do at Grumpy's on Thursday nights. It's they sit on like kegs of beer and they put a mic in the middle. <laughs> And it kind of just, it's very, it used to, it has like a real community feel. It's fun. That's that's what I like about improv as well. Hmm. It doesn't feel like uh, um, competitive. Right. It feels like everyone's like there kind of working together. I think that's what I look for in hobbies a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Improv definitely has been like very much a community thing for me. Yeah. Like, Like I don't think I'd have stuck around as much if it had just been people who are only there to perform. Well, that's it. It's such a process with improv, right? We get all kinds of people, especially in Montreal. We get people who just want to speak to their family better, I guess, and uh, uh, be with their or or at work. I had one person say he uh, he was tired of like people at work always like zinging him. So he wanted, (laughs) yeah, like that was the most interesting answer I got from a student. He was like, I want, I just want to like have a quick, you know, response when I get zinged at work. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, like, man. Sometimes your coworkers say yeah. something rude. You want to dunk on them. I guess that's yeah. it, right? I guess, like, spite is a good reason to <laughs> join improv. But everyone has their own uh, uh, agendas and stuff. But we do try to promote uh, the idea of working together, which I think is a little different than stand-up, where you kind of have to, you know, have your jokes and your punchlines set up. Mm. Here you need another person. 
Yeah, that's true. Stand up is almost the antithesis of of improv, right? And that like kind you re- of yeah, you rehearse every line and the exact timing of it, and and a lot of stand up, not all stand up, but a lot of it is it can be based around cynicism. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when I get uh, students who are stand ups, uh, sometimes learning to work with someone else takes a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Right. But we have some really great improvisers who are now stand-ups, like DJ and right. Amanda and Emily. Yeah, I guess a lot of stand-up comes from pulling things apart and questioning them. And a lot of improv has to be, don't pull it apart, don't question it, <laughs> just run with it. Yeah, getting out of your head, uh, yeah. I think, is the hardest thing for people. And that's usually what people say when they come into the class is, I want to get out of my head, I want to relinquish control. And that takes a while because we've been brought up, we learn how to... Uh, have control of things to to survive and mm. then you come into the environment of improv and you have to let it all go and trust someone else it, it takes a while yeah well that's it because we're we're also like we're taught to filter our words too right yeah and in improv like you kind of you want to go with the first thing that comes to your head because it's usually going to be the best at, is the table like i don't know the table's sounds. doing some sort of metal yeah. metallic shape-shifty thing yeah but like you know you you want to you want to go with your your gut in improv and not censor yourself too much. But at the same time, you want to be careful what you say because you, you, it's sort of like you're training your thoughts to be better thoughts than your first instincts might be. Kind of, yeah. I yeah. mean, but you really can go with anything and it's all about how you do it, how you say it, and right. how much your partner accepts it. Hmm. I think that's why it's it's not solitary because yeah. it's really about your partner putting worth into what you just said, even if what you said you doubt. Right. Hmm. Yeah. The thing with going with your first instinct is that like you reveal yourself to yourself, right? Mm. Like even if you do say something that you're like, oh, wow, wow I, that, yeah. I can't believe I said that. Right. It's like all of a sudden you're aware of that piece of yourself that was, that was hidden back there and that you always repressed and went with the thing that you would have thought of second. Yeah. And that's probably the most interesting thing that's going to come out, right? That's the most interesting thing for me about improv is that every scene you see will be different based on the person who does it. Mm. So you'll do a different scene than Tom because you'll see the world differently. Whereas if I gave you a script and it would be the exact same scene. Right. True. You might bring like slightly different emotional nuances to it, but the the words would all, you know. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, yeah there's, I think there's art in both things, right? Because there's, there's art in interpreting, interpreting a structure, mm-hmm. especially if it's, if it's a fairly loose structure, like words on a page are, you know, they're, they're a frame for for an actor to fill. Yeah. But with improv, you're constructing the whole thing, whole cloth. Yeah, you're constructing the whole thing, and you're even when you're playing characters and such, this is getting a little nerdy, whatever, but totally. um, <laughs> you're filtering it through your own point of view. Hmm. So it's still gonna it's still filtering through you, which is kind of cool. It's like, okay, like if you were told by a director what to do, feel this, do that, you'd kind of like do it. But here you're kind of like on your own. How do I really feel about this? I think truth is 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 important in improv. How do I how do I really how would I really react to this? How do I really feel about this? And then of course it heightens and it becomes comedic and such. But I think having a strong point of view and your own point of view is probably one of the most important things. And people don't always recognize that in improv because right. of short form and long form is very different mm. than short form. Yeah, short form absolutely. is like whose line is it anyway and that kind of thing, which is also really cool and really great. But long form, we kind of want to get into more of a character study. That's yeah. what I like about it. Well, that's what I've been finding doing narrative stuff for the past four months, I guess. Mm. Is like it's very 
like when you decide that you're playing a character in the first scene, you're probably still going to be that person 20 minutes later. And you like really have to like commit to that. Right. Yeah. You're stuck with it. Yeah. You're stuck with that choice. So you might as well live in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the early levels, I get people playing like big voices and big, you know, moving around, which is great. We want to see that. Hmm. But as you get uh, further on into narrative and such, you're going to live with that character. So how would that character, you know, drink a cup of water? How would that character feel about, someone who's on their lawn or whatever it is, right? You really have to feel that even though you wouldn't feel that as, you know, yourself. Right. Yeah. So do you find that doing improv has changed the way that you act in the world? Like, does it make you more more likely to go with your first thought or to not censor yourself? Or is it, a, is it an outlet? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I've always been like that naturally a little bit, maybe to a fault. So mm. that might be, it might be the chicken or the egg type thing where right. it's like improv kind of, felt good to me because I kind of would just not filter myself but I do feel that my listening and my ability to put myself in the other person's shoes has improved quite a bit mm. and get a sense of where they're coming from and um, what their what their point of view might be so that's mm -hmm. been cool yeah yeah I find for me it's been it's been cool because it uh, it's made me slightly more confident in conversations with people I don't know because uh, I you know I have sort of like a skill set now that lets me sort of listen to what this person I've never met before is saying and kind of work with them, right? Yeah. Where before, like, you know, <clears throat> I would get anxious with new people. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I don't know you. Why are you talking to me? How do I deal with this? And now I'm like, yeah, all right. Just and we, we get a lot of that, too. Uh, we get a lot of teachers in there who they use it to, to be better with their students. Mm. We also get people who come in there. It's funny to watch from the day one where they come in and everyone's sitting there nervously to, you know, Level three, everyone's going out for drinks together, having right. a good time. You're in a class doing the craziest, weirdest things, but you feel supported. You feel safe. And we try not to let anybody bring anyone else down. Again, going mm -hmm. back to that cynicism mm -hmm. thing. If anyone judges anyone else, that can create a, a bad environment. So we're trying to create an environment where everyone just feels safe to be silly, to have fun, and to play. Really, it's about playing because as we get older, we forget we don't really play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So a lot of the times I'll get people come up to me and say, oh, I haven't played in so long. Just play. Just be silly and play a character or whatever. And I said, yeah, you should. You have to give yourself permission to do that. And you can't do that in the real world. You can't do that at school or at work or yeah. on the streets. They'll think you're crazy, right? So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> That's been a thing that I like. I think there's two things that I have to remind myself of when I'm doing narrative stuff now. Is like The first one is don't break character, uh, which Mark has been you know, hitting me over the head with for the past seven weeks because <laughs> I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, Why do you think you do that? Uh, I think because I, I personally really enjoy when I see, like, something break the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. But I know that it, like, can take away from the, like, the weight of a situation, I guess, if it's not done perfectly. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're doing. There's certain shows sometimes where the the pattern or the thing that's fun is everybody breaking the fourth totally. wall. Totally, yeah. And then everybody kind of jumps on board with it. But if you're doing a show where you kind of need some emotional stakes and and, and it, it, it relies on everybody keeping it together, mm -hmm. then yeah. So I think it's about agreement. And often we don't think, we think about agreement as just saying yes, like right. here, have a carrot. Yes, I'll eat the carrot. But I think agreement is how we're going to treat each other. So if you break the fourth wall and then I break the fourth wall and someone else breaks the fourth wall, we've agreed that this is the kind of show we're going to do today. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that it's it's harder to break the fourth wall in a way that doesn't kind of 
distract from it in a narrative because you like you said you've got to have that emotional connection it's got to yeah. be believable and a narrative yeah. is basically like doing a movie yeah so if you watched a movie and someone broke the fourth wall the only thing i can think of is like maybe deadpool sure yeah. and, and i actually found like that fairly distracting and it is distracting like I, right i found that they maybe maybe that's the point and what they were going for and i apparently the comics are very much like that too but it it felt like they were overdoing it. Like right. every opportunity you have, you take it. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, now I don't believe that you're a person. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. And that's it. And that's why very early on we try to get people away from doing jokes. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because they're vulnerable. They're up there. They've only been themselves their whole lives. Now they're being something else in like mm-hmm. level one or level two. And they're up there and people are watching them. And there's like a pride to it. So they're going to make a joke. They're going to make mm-hmm. a pun or a joke. And right away it's like well you have just broke the reality of what i was watching you know mm-hmm. even if it's just as simple as like washing dishes and talking to your wife about you know what you're gonna have for dinner if you break it and make some kind of joke at your partner's expense we kind of have to restart from the beginning and, and find something else yeah so yeah, yeah. Well, so, well that's it because you can you can have characters make puns and make jokes in the dialogue mm-hmm. if it still works like if it fits with the with the dialogue right but you can't have them like go out of their way to make a joke yes or break the reality of who that character is right right it's again like deadpool uh, i agree with you but also we kind of find out super early that this is what this guy's going to do yeah so we're we're making an agreement with the movie that okay this is what's going to happen yeah whereas if we watched a really serious movie and right in the middle of it they did that we'd be like totally kind of like you know it would change our our perception of what we're watching completely so at the very beginning of an improv scene if someone's making jokes, then they're a jokey person. That's the character that they've agreed to play, and I'll agree with that. But if I'm talking to someone and it's kind of like a a scene that's been moving along and then all of a sudden they make a joke at my expense to the audience, then I feel like jarred and I feel like we've broken our trust that we've we've started with. Right. Hmm. Yeah, and that's that's not good because then you kind of have to start all over again. You kind of have to start over again. And you see it a lot and it's normal, right? We Hmm. do in the early levels, it'd be like, do a scene about baking a cake and then everyone's going to talk about baking a cake for three and a half minutes and what ingredients go in the cake and you didn't get the right ingredients and I hate you. And, you know, this is just like last week when you didn't put out the garbage and now we want a divorce. You'll see that scene. And that's oh, yeah. because people are nervous up there. And where do people go when they're nervous to uh, to, to like be negative and also like put it on someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. So, so the scene devolves into life chaos very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. yeah. I just did a, a class on Saturday, and it, I was like, I watched about 20 scenes, and I was like, what happened in all these scenes? And it was everybody hated each other. Nobody did anything right. Everything was wrong within about five seconds to seven seconds in the scene. I said, you still have two and a half minutes left. Like, how yeah. can this continue if everything that's ever happened with each with me and you were, was wrong? That's interesting, and that is something that I've noticed. Like when I when I went to your show for like, like short for, like the short form one, mm-hmm. um, it did seem like a lot of the scenes, like, very quickly have to get into a stage where they're one upping themselves in terms of like this is we've taken this to a like a negative place or like an emotional place. All right, we've got to find a way to like take this further and further and further and like break it. Mm-hmm. And that works for a short scene because you can do the sweep the stage thing where it's like, yeah. okay, this has gotten too ridiculous. Yeah. But that, that that sounds like it must be really different for a narrative where you have to keep a believable 
Yeah, you can pepper story it in. going for half an hour. You yeah. can't immediately devolve to okay, we're divorced now. It's like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's tricky, exactly, and that's why narrative comes near the end. And you yeah. know, we we have a certain process of of going through the stages of the levels because a lot of times we'll have people come and say, oh, you know, I did some stuff in high school. Can I skip a couple levels? Mm. Well, you should follow what we did here because maybe what you did there wasn't the same here. So mm. when you get to the narrative, you kind of have a sense or when you get to like Armando or Harold, which are other formats that need a little more patience and feeling comfortable on stage really is what it all comes down to. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That I mean, I think like I had, uh, so in our last narrative class this past weekend, um, we ended up having two like longer sets. I think they were like 25 minutes each uh, that both felt like they went really, really well. And it was the first time this whole term that like, <laughs> that's true mm. <laughs> where like everything we did like like there was no like there was nothing that felt like it was really really missing yeah why and, do you like, think that is I, we were all just on we were all into just, it we trusted each other we made strong choices yeah. and you know i think we were also having a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. just to come back to what you said before mm-hmm. about like we've just got to play and it's like it can be daunting to do that in the context of trying to build something that's longer yeah but if you don't people aren't going to want to watch that. They're not going to want to watch you like awkwardly tell a story for 20 minutes. They want to watch you like stumble and like accidentally do silly things and, you know, have a good time with it. Yeah. The bottom line is having fun. And it's weird because we also put so many rules and right. they're not really rules. They're guidelines that, that eventually become on autopilot. But as we're teaching them and as we're doing that, it becomes tough because then we're like, well, you still have to have fun while we're putting these rules on it. Right. Um, but you have to have fun. The audience, I mean, that's why it's good to talk to um to nick and figure out what tim sorry tim, tim, tim sorry <laughs> like, who's nick sorry man. sorry man uh, nick's our other co-host He's yeah yeah today <laughs> but but to talk to tim and to hear like your views on it is interesting because mm. improvisers are in the world all the time and they're looking for really specific things and we forget about the audience a lot of right. the time and it's about the audience right like just someone who comes up off the street and is like i want to see a comedy show you know, I'll come mm. up to Montreal Improv and I'll check it out and I'll see what happens. And because I think what happens with the students is they are so involved in all the little things that we teach them that they miss like, oh, just go have fun. Like the audience needs to see you have fun. Yeah. Otherwise, you mm. guys feel like the audience f- doesn't want to see you fail either. And then they don't want them to feel like they don't want to feel bad because they came to watch you fail or something. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like there's sort of there's sort of a theme in in artistic endeavors or these you know these ways that we play as adults um where like you you have to for a game to make sense it can't be totally free but it can't be totally restrictive you need to have a set of rules that's like conducive to playing within a sensible structure that everyone can agree on right so if if i say let's play a game you move first you have no idea what to do but if we if you sort of establish if, and if you establish a hyper-restrictive order on everything, then there's no room to play. So, like, I found that a lot of these things, like like improv seems to be like this, dance is very much like this, that you have you have to have the knowledge that's sort of a baseline that everyone agrees on. These are, these are the rules we're playing by, but the rules are loose enough that you can bring yourself into them and you can express your, your own personality, whatever it is. The yeah. rules are loose enough that you can put yourself into it. That's 100% correct. That's And more people need to get that. Um, because there's two camps. There's the camps that are very strict on the rules. And they're like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't have a scene like that. Don't mm. do that. And then there's also the camp that's like, hey, man, it's improv. I just want to let my freak flag fly. <laughs> right? And it's like total chaos and weird and nothing makes any sense. And it's like, 
okay, yeah, we could just do improv and go crazy and go nuts, and that could be one thing, and we could be really strict and, like, not have fun and buttoned up, but why don't we find a middle ground where, like you said, we know we have parameters of what we can do. We have these little tips and tricks that we can use, um, but we also just want to have fun. We want to have a good time and, like you said, let our, our personality shine through. Yeah. There's a saying, it's, I think it's Jill Bernard. I don't know, don't quote me on any of this, but uh, there's a thing for improv called freedom, power, and responsibility. So freedom is the freedom to do whatever you want. Power is someone will come in and uh, support your choice. And responsibility is, uh, okay, now we need to stay within these guidelines. So you can do whatever you want. I'll come in and support that. And then Tom will say, okay, now we're going to keep that for the whole show. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like I wouldn't come in and immediately like try and like change that. I would come in and continue to support it, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing that we'll continue to support because we're honoring what you created. Yeah. That's really interesting because that's sort of how that's how sort of how life works, right? Yeah. Or how how like <laughs> well, it should. how living life well should work. And I <laughs> Yeah. I feel like a lot of these creative endeavors, they're kind of they're they're models for life, right? If you yeah. if you get them right, all of a sudden you've developed a a, a heuristic in your head that you can yeah. apply to everything. It's like, oh, I now I know how to be assertive in improv. Now I can be assertive everywhere. Yeah. Or now I understand what it means to take responsibility for my choices. It's like, oh, that's not something that's restricted to one night a week. Right. That is a thing that everybody needs to know how to do. <laughs> and you present it to people in improv or let's say in sports and they'll mm -hmm. they'll accept it. But you if you try to present it in religion or even just, uh, you know, a morality class, then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. But it's all, like you said, it's all the same kind of idea, right? Support one another's ideas. Don't shut each other down. Uh, yeah. If you find something you like, celebrate it. I don't mm -hmm. know. It seems to, you know, make sense from an improv standpoint, but then sometimes when they're back in the real world, it's like, no, 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 shutting <laughs> everything down. So I think it takes a while to, to, to have it be part of your life skills. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. But I find like that the thing with improv that I that I kind of recognized right out the gate was like it's kind of like a team sport. Like it's like a sport version of performance, right? Because you you meet up all the time with the same people. You're practicing these skills. You're learning kind of how well, like the rules and the sort of like techniques and stuff that you can use to make it run smoother. And then you're basically just going out and making it happen right yeah and you have to be really like in sync with your team or it's not going to work yeah you're going to lose you're not going to score a a points <laughs> <laughs> a points <laughs> <laughs> well it's like anything you have practice for practice but you're not gonna you know sometimes before shows i'll say well, you're not gonna learn improv tonight right tonight's not the night to learn improv if it's like 10 minutes before a show if it's i if i have a class <laughs> grad or if it's even my team i'm like we're not learning anything tonight we learn in class we do what we do and tonight we're just gonna who knows what this show could be yeah Right. Who knows what it could be. And that and for me now doing it for a little while, I like not knowing what not knowing what it's going to be. That's what I look for now. Yeah. So it's like a little bit different from my students who are like, well, how am I going to go out there if I don't know what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Right. I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, I like being in the dark. It's kind of like thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I'm definitely like I'm I'm just maybe two levels ago started to feel like. Like whenever I do a show, I'm fine with the knowledge that like it might not be good. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to forget about trying to make it good. And I'm just going to have fun doing it. Yeah. And then that's so much more freeing. 
And that ebbs and flows, right? That sure, you know, because you can have a real bad show, and then you can be like, "Why am I doing this? I'm wasting my life." Uh, but in the end, it's a hobby. It's something fun to do. Yeah. And uh, I think you can make uh, all kinds of choices uh, that you would not do in real life, too. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but that that feeling, that that enjoyment of the unknown with within the context of improv, that I think that goes to. I guess a mastery of the subject. Like once, once you've figured out the game, it doesn't matter what situation you're going to be thrown into. You know, you can pull something out of it mm-hmm. as your students are terrified because they, they don't, they don't know what's coming at them. It could be exactly. horrifying. They, and they, they don't have that knowledge that what, whatever it is, like they haven't generalized it necessarily yeah. to any possible thing that comes. I will have something for this. Yeah, exactly. And, and we move pretty quickly through our school and get people on stage and sometimes on stage in front of like a lot of people really early. Mm. Like uh, my class has a level three grad show tomorrow night. And if they invite all their friends, there could be like 50 to 60 people there. Yeah. And these are just people who haven't ever performed. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've never performed. And then they're doing a show for 50, 60 people. And it's nerve wracking and it's crazy. But another thing it does, it's like better than any drug they've probably ever done. Mm. Uh, and then as soon as they get that, they're like, because they're just, you know, Average people, they wouldn't, they didn't, you know, go to school for comedy or anything like that. They're just like, oh, we'll just take this improv class. Then they make a room full of fifty people laugh, and they're like, what? Yeah, this is a thing I can do. That is that. That's a powerful. Drug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's a little bit different from being a musician or, or uh, you know, a writer or something where you really work at it a long time. Not saying you don't need talent. You do need talent to stay there, but you do get some really good opportunities really early to be like, wow. You know, I was kind of a funny guy at the bar or in class, but right. I just made a whole room laugh and I want more of that. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's the thing with improv is like a lot of the people like so uh, I guess not a, not most, but like a good number of people are the people who kind of felt like they were funny enough to be there to begin with. Right. I always like, like to say it's everybody's people. like second funniest friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because the first funniest friend like don't need it. Sure. Yeah. They're like cool. They're like have a, a life. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second funniest friend is like maybe a little more insecure and is like, okay, that's it. It's I'm like, going to go find this thing. They're Improvis. the funniest person in their friend group who's also not confident. In yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it's it. The, the beta comedians. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> but then like by the time that you get to like the higher levels, you're surrounded by all these people who like, if yeah. you don't feel like you're the least funny person in the group, you yeah. need to find a new group almost. It's <laughs> yeah. like, like you want to be surrounded by people who make you laugh. Because it kind yeah. of pulls you further up, right? Well, most people who take the classes who go to it are funny people, or they yeah. or they enjoy comedy at least, and you really get something out of that. Um, I often say uh, to my girlfriend, like before when I was hanging out with my friends, I always wanted to be funny and hang out, and be, like try to be the funniest person at the bar or whatever it was. Right. Since doing improv, since being around like funny people all the time and talking about comedy, it's like now I just go with my friends. I'm like quiet all night. <laughs> like listening, I'm asking them about, you know, what's going on at their house or their job or whatever. Tell me about your cat. <laughs> yeah. And like, I still like to be funny and stuff, but it's like, it's, it's a treat to be around so many funny people all the time. I totally. Think. Yeah. Hmm. So being funny in that context, like, do you find it, it, so it like opened you up to be other things in other contexts? Cause like that's fulfilled. I think so. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good way to put it. I think so. And then also after a while, it's not just about being funny. It's like, the exploration of of life through improv, which is like, again, I don't want to sound cheesy or weird or whatever, but I get to do things. If I really am playing the character, like I said earlier, and I'm really embodying that character, I get to live in that character for a little while. Mm. 
and I don't get to do that. If I'm really playing a woman, uh, you know, who's having a hard time for whatever reason or having a hard time with her husband, and I really play it the way I feel that that woman would play that person, then I'm not, and I'm not being silly and like, you know, adjusting my boobs and mm-hmm. and having a high voice and all that kind of thing, then I can, I don't know, I can kind of like, it's like a, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun to like yeah. try to feel to know what that would feel like. Yeah, it's an exercise in empathy. Empathy, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And it's not always easy because I mean you're up there doing comedy, so high voices and weird things and like that will always come out. Sure. But I try to. I'm working on getting closer to being more true to presenting something that could still be funny but real. Hmm. Yeah. How long have you been doing improv? I've been doing it about five years. It'll be five years in September. Okay. So, yeah, and I got into it pretty quickly. It started for me as a, a way to get away from anxiety. So uh, I would go to my class one to three every week, and it was an hour or so to get out of my, my mind, two mm-hmm. hours to get out of my head. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, I started getting into it like that. And then in level two, I really just started to see the, like, the patterns and stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'm hooked. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there's something really exciting about the first time that, like, you kind of, like the idea of like the game clicks right when you yeah. first kind of realize like oh oh this this is what makes this funny is that this is happening and then this happens as a result and they can apply it in all these different areas yeah and it's like whoa well i saw an easy action i right. was going easy action's a show at our theater it's uh brent skagford and mark roland they've been doing it for like 20 years and mm-hmm. they do a show where they make a movie in an hour okay. it's a it's a two-person movie and up until that point i had seen like whose line is it anyway and all kinds of stuff but I was really into like Mr. Show and Kids in the Hall and I knew that was all sketch I didn't know that was improv I just like sketch and I'm like I don't know how to get into sketch I guess I'll try this improv class and level one was kind of silly and weird but like I said it was a way to get out of my head level two I had Mark show up for a sub and he was telling me he was doing this show so I went and saw it and it blew me away the easy action show was like very um, detailed and really character driven and Mm. slow and passionate and Mark's a mime, so the the way he would do things was, like, realistic. And Brent's yeah. just this really great improviser. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, this isn't, like, silly, you know, slapstick weirdo stuff. Like, they're telling a story, and they're, they have a message, and it's really interesting. And at that point, I was just, like, hooked. I was like, okay, I'm not there yet, but I want to go towards that. Right. Yeah, and their, their shows, I've only seen a couple of them, but they they have this ability to kind of just play together mm-hmm. really, really well. And like they do ridiculous things, but in such a believable and committed way that it works really well within That's the narrative it. they're telling. And it's like, and again, it goes back to that acceptance of how we're going to treat each other. Totally. Mm. So you know, if I was doing something with you and you did something super unusual, but you had a justification for it that seemed to make sense to me, then that's just who you are. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's something that really cool about improv because if you meet someone who's crazy, you know, and or probably just yeah, or or like has a certain point of view that's not your own, and you can't see it. They believe it, right? right. They don't know that they're that that they're, you know, unusual or whatever. They have a reason for that whole thing. So I think just playing your characters like that is really fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Then you can do like anything you want, but you find your own justification for it, and the audience is like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm not like it's still pretty weird, but what you said about why you do it. I'll watch for a little while longer. Right. Whereas if you just came out and did something absolutely insane for no reason, mm. the audience is kind of like jarred a little bit. And they're like, uh, why? Why am I watching this? Yeah. <laughs> it, needs, it needs to map onto reality in some way. Yeah. But it's cool. That's cool the way that you discovered that it's that it was more than a gimmick, I guess. That it was that 
like yeah this this improv game collectively is big enough to house real things yeah house like a proper representation of life yeah and now Mm. we've grown quite big and we have all kinds of different shows right Mm. so now you can kind of like you can get those fast uh short formy shows which are super fun and just exciting to play in uh or you can do mono scenes which is just like two people in a room for 25 to 30 minutes just talking Mm. you know yeah well gabe and i tried to do like a yeah we did like a 10 that was cool yeah, it was it was weird, but it was cool. We did like a like a ten minute mono scene as Frasier and Niles, right? Yes, <laughs> and uh, it was bizarre, an and old pull, weird. Yeah, yeah, but it was cool. I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Not that old. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the someone same referenced Mash last night in a show, and right. I was like, you, yeah, you really know there's a uh, uh, difference in audience sometimes yeah. when someone's referencing mash that's a deep cut yeah yeah it's like i wouldn't go to cheers but fraser is recent <laughs> yeah yeah that was a cool show though i like that a lot yeah, referencing something that people don't know means you also get the opportunity to like show them that character as opposed to just talking about a character they know i guess yeah right. well that's that's what we found afterward was like the moments that worked really well were when we were really in character but not talking about the universe outside of what was happening in the scene. Mm-hmm, and the moments mm-hmm. that kind of felt weird were when one of us would try to like reference someone who was not going to enter because we didn't have an actor for them. Right. And it was like, you know, if we're talking about one of their like wives or like the, the dad or something, and it's like, you know, you know that character exists, but unless you know the universe already, we yeah. are not doing you any favors by talking about them really. Well, you're like, going to get the factor of the people who like Frasier are going to be like, oh, yeah, you mentioned the character I love. Yeah. But then other people might just be like, yeah, they're, they're the, that you're their first introduction to Frasier. Right. That's, that's interesting, right? And so it's like you can't like, I almost feel like it's kind of a rule that like if two characters are talking in one scene about a third character, that character needs to either enter or like the next scene needs to have that character in it so that we can kind of... Like, yeah, it depends on how much time it. you take on it and how much the characters affect affect the two people who are in the scene. Sure, yeah. Because I see scenes early on where people are like, oh, crazy Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan's the best. He's so cool. He does all these things. And the whole scene is two people talking about Uncle Dan. And then the scene ends and I go, why don't I just see a scene about Uncle Why don't I just see a scene with Uncle Dan? Right. We, right. Need, we need Uncle Dan. Yeah, I don't want to see two people mm-hmm. talking about Uncle Dan. He sounds so cool. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> Let's you just know, see him. Something like, my wife left me. You don't necessarily need to see the wife. No, because that's going to affect your relationship with you and, in that case, like Niles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anything that, that is like going to help affect the two people on stage is fine. Right. But if you start going, or if I start going off and on, like off about a party I went to right. and how great it was, and then the scene stops and it's just like, well, I wish I would have seen the scene that that party happened mm, right. instead yeah. of two people at a bus stop talking about it. Right. But people get nervous again and they want to be... Um, they don't want to make the active choices, and that takes a right. while. Hmm. Although I, I would kind of love to see a scene where two people are standing at a bus stop talking really, really vividly about a party. Yeah, and the game is that they are never actually going to get around to like getting on a bus or anything. They're just they're yeah talking about a party. Like, well, that would be different. Them. Again, that would be <laughs> yeah. you would agree that that's the that mm-hmm. would be what you're going to do is talk about a party for a whole thing. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing about referential humor when you're mm-hmm. or referential art in general, because pretty much all. Like everything I do is referential art, right? Like I'm, but it's also introductory. So I think that's sort Mm. of what you're doing too, is you're on one level, you're introducing the people to Frasier who don't know Frasier. And on the other hand, you're, you're you're trying to throw things in for the people who do know it. It's very much what I'm doing, right? With with science. Yeah. Um, I found the way, 
like the the I was really bad at this, but I I feel like I'm sort of developing a philosophy of you you have a thread that anyone can follow with no prior knowledge except like knowledge about you know day to day life. They can follow that thread, and then your references all have to be little offshoots. Like they're just you you mm. you throw a dart out into out into a reference that it's just quick, and the people who get it love it, and they can stay there for a minute. But meanwhile, you didn't go off on this path where anybody who couldn't follow you is just stuck at a dead end now and they're lost. You need to continue the thread that the people who are first introduced to it are following. Hmm. So, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, that well, actually. Uh, I think that would be really. I think that the what you would bring, like the your knowledge of, you know, the things you're talking about, like the sciences and such like that, hmm. would be very unique to the scene and that would be very interesting like you know well it is surprising to me how many science people you have a lot of improv. people like and we engineers keep, and... we keep bringing people on the podcast <laughs> and they're like what do you do oh i worked for the canadian space agency oh yeah. i'm a physicist oh you know it's like i don't know what it is about that overlap precisely but my theory is that improv can sometimes feel like a lot of quick mental math mm-hmm. and so people who have like stem backgrounds are maybe inclined to that if they're also people who like to kind of express yeah. themselves mm. yeah and i think well in montreal we're a bit different than new york or la where we're not having tons of actors and comedians coming in and, mm. and trying to get to Saturday Night live or whatever it is it's not like a uh they're just trying to rip through the program so we do get a lot of people who are like improv will just be fun i'll just try this thing you right. know it's kind of out of my comfort zone mm. and we'll try this thing we get a lot of like uh you know all different ages and people who are like stay-at-home mothers and people who have been retired and and a lot of engineers and stuff who are just funny people but they sit at a computer all day and they don't have an outlet so they come to this thing and then they slowly get opportunities to perform and going back to what i said earlier they they make some people laugh and it's even bigger for them right you know i was in broadcasting before and i used to work in radio and stuff so i have a bit of a sense of 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 that world but someone who's just in uh typing away on a computer all day and then they go out and they make 20 30 people laugh it's like oh i'm never leaving yeah (laughs) i'm never leaving here yeah well, it's very it, uh, the the live aspect of it is like the fact that you immediately like in broadcasting you yeah. broadcast and then maybe you get a review yeah at some point but mm. live is like oh I, that that worked right there yeah I'm keeping that <laughs> yeah although this is really fun like this would be enough for a scene in a way like we'd have to f- have other parameters and find things but I think a lot of times people think that they need more than they than just their actual conversation skills mm. you know. I think that's one thing that I find interesting. And as I go further in improv, you know, we could end up, we could get the suggestion of working on a car. You and I'd be working on a car, but maybe you'd start talking about something from your world of science. Right. And we would still find something fun and playable and uh, some kind of game of the scene type thing. But but you'd just be honest and you'd be talking about your thing. I could still work on the car. We can go back to that any, every now and then, but mm. we don't have to talk about the car right. for three minutes. Mm. The, int- the most interesting thing to me is your knowledge of, you know, what you do. Hmm. So why not use it? Yeah, that's cool. That's what I find interesting. It takes a while, the, the, obviously, the to thing get to that, that point. You, yeah, when I've tried to do improv very briefly, what happens is that you have no gauge for how funny you're supposed to be. Right. Right? So you think you have to be way funnier all the time than yeah. necessarily you do. And, of mm. course, that freaks you out, and then you clam up. and Yeah. You know, just and it's, I mean... You don't know what the thing is. So mm-hmm. you go in there and you're putting yourself in front of these people who you've just met and you want to show that you're funny. Yeah. A lot of people go there to show that they're funny. 
Right. And that makes sense, right? They're they're there, put you on stage, do a scene. You don't necessarily you don't necessarily think you're going to talk about, you know, the minutia of your job and I'm going to love it. <laughs> right? So it takes like two or three levels to start to see that all those jokes and all the silly stuff don't work as well as just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So that we were we were talking a bit before about um the the idea of like having to have like a thread that everyone can follow and then stuff that kind of offshoots that's more referential. Mm-hmm. That actually brings us really smoothly into our Patreon topic. Ooh, snap. But then we diverged <laughs> from it for a bit. So not the smoothest transition, but we, we got there. I get to um, hear another sh- shanty tune? <laughs> no, not particularly. Oh. Guys, uh, Patreon is a platform where you can support the podcast and things and art of various natures. If you go to patreon.com slash up for discussion, um, you can pledge as little as a dollar and that'll get you access to a bunch of bonus content, and uh, you can, you know, send us little private messages. You can ask us questions. You can be part of the patron community the of burgeoning patron yeah, community. Be be there on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think we have a, a question this week from Kendallin. We is do. Yeah, Kendallin is pledged at the forty dollar a month level, uh, and as a result of this, she gets to decide what the bear in our logo is named uh, week after week. And this week, we're calling the bear the number one threat to North America. You've been warned. Uh, and Kendallin also is uh, the person who asked us the question for this week. Uh, and what she wants to know is uh, how, when you're working on a piece of art, how much does your understanding of what the audience will get affect what you put into it? So very much like, you know. So like in terms references of references and, and jokes and things and yeah. what they're actually going to pick up on. That's it. It's like, when do you bother making something part of what you're working on? like before you actually release it because you know whether or not your audience will get it huh okay yeah i think my answer to that would be put in as much as you possibly can that doesn't take away from the more the things you want it to have right so Hmm. it's 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 like a tree you have to have the trunk that makes sense all the way through that goes all all the way through it and doesn't get lost and then from that cram in the branches as, as much as you want to and the adornment and stuff. But if, if at any point you find that someone is, is getting, I don't I'm, I'm probably stretching this metaphor to its breaking point, but if you find that someone's getting way out on a limb to the little twiggy branches and they're about to fall and die, it's like, okay, well they've, you've, you've lost the main thread of what you're going for. Right. It's like if you're, if your branch reaches out too far, and has too many other branches growing off it, and it gets too heavy, it's going to snap and fall off the tree. Yeah. There's a, a conversational... My sister told me about, because she's a, a linguist and a speech therapist, and there, there's this um, conversational, I guess, pathology that some people develop called cluttering, which is where you start... And I'm sure you know people like this. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you start with a subject, and then... You go off on a you go off on a tangent. You you start explaining something about that subject, and then you start explaining something about your explanation, and you explain something about, and you just go in this an infinite branching tree into <laughs> nothing. And after an hour, it's like, okay, but what about what about that thing you started with, or even what about that thing six branches down the thing you started with, and you never get anywhere. And that's I think that's a it's a danger with a certain kind of like open personality where you just 
like every new idea presents to you five more ideas and they all look interesting and you want to go for all of them. It's like, okay, but you need to make sure that your first idea is actually being respected and represented as you wanted to because all those ideas, you'll have time to get to them Hmm. and do other pieces of art. That's interesting because Tim uh, accidentally hits on the exact philosophy of improv uh, Hmm. throughout this podcast, which is so cool. Um, (laughs) All right. uh, The world makes sense. It's very interesting. I mean, just to tie it back to improv, but everything he just said is exactly what you want your scene to be, which is not, I I usually say, um, not too many things in your soup. So you don't want to put too many things in the soup because they just branch off. And then you're doing all these things and you've lost your focus of what you're doing. So if I was doing a scene with you uh, to tie back to improv um, and it was the scene about us going on a road trip and we were excited to go to a concert. Well, that's the thing that we're doing. And I want to talk about that thing and explore that with you and find out what our relationship is to one another. But if I say, oh, we're going to stop here and do this and we're going to do that and I'm going to talk about dad, dad's in the hospital. And oh, did you hear that? I got an A on my test and da, 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 da. Then I'm putting all this stuff in the soup and you can't see and the audience can't see what this scene is about anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You go home and tell your friends or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. Uh, what did you see tonight? One is I saw a scene about two guys doing a road trip to a concert and it was super interesting and they each had their own character flaws and such and I loved it. Another one was I saw this scene where they did this and they did that and they did that and they did that. I don't know what the scene was about. Yeah. Mm. So sort of going off what you were saying, um, keeping it simple, using one of the first things that you can will keep the audience, oh, okay, I know what this scene is. Mm. You make a contract with the audience that this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this scene. Right. We're not going to do 10,000 scenes in one scene, right? <laughs> This is the scene you're going to see. So if I started treating Tom a certain way, this is how I'm going to treat him for the next three minutes. Right. And the lights will go out. Then you'll see a new thing. But I'm not going to clutter that scene, to use your word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm uh, I'm currently working as a like video producer for a friend of mine who does uh, like fitness videos. So he makes oh, like cool. circuit training things and like instructionals on how to do specific moves. And uh, he's kind of given me free reign with the edits. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that I can do kind of silly stuff with them and throw in little jokes here and there as long as it doesn't distract from the main thread of it. Yeah. Uh, And I'm like, this is great. This is exactly the amount of freedom that I need. Yeah, you can always go off, right? I'm going to open the glove compartment and find something interesting that we'll talk about on this trip, but then we'll close it and we'll get back to what, you know, it'll that'll help influence what we've already built and not detract from it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think with with Kendall and her art is, is, it's more... It's it's also like YouTube based and like it's it's the sort of thing that people can rewatch. So that's an interesting difference from improv mm-hmm. where you get it once and what you get is what you get. Yeah. With something that you can rewatch, you actually have the capability of like you can you can make tons of little branches, but you can make them fairly subtle. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You can make them almost unnoticeable. So the first time someone watches it, they see the main trunk, the main thrust of it, and that's all they get. They could miss 90% of it as long as you've dialed that 90% to the background where the, the, the 10% you get is, is the point. Hmm. And then they'll, you know, they'll go back and rewatch it because for sure they'll say, oh, I think I missed a few things there. I'm going to yeah. go back and see it. And if you can expand it out from there where it's like, oh, there's this entire fractal world of possibilities, then that's something like that's rewatch value, which yeah, is a, that's whole, really awesome. a whole other yeah. thing which I love from like, like you watch Disney movies or like Pixar movies and stuff like people. Someone told me it was our, our mutual friend, Kelly. Um, Mm -hmm. 
was telling me that she, her family used to watch Finding Nemo like every day. Yeah. Um, this is a, a girl that I dated back in high school. And I think we yeah. were dating when they watched Finding Nemo every day because I remember. <laughs> Quite possibly. It was like every day. And it got to the point where she would she would watch a single fish in the background for their like expressions. And she would be huh. completely unaware of the plot or like the plot's just, you know, she knows it backwards and forwards, hmm. but just watching the details of like the eye movements and expressions yeah. on this one fish, like the fact that Pixar decided to put all that effort into yeah. it, 99% of people are not going to notice that. No, but it does, you know, even for the people who don't notice it consciously, it, it contributes to the richness of the world. And then if someone does bother to watch it every day for a year, yeah. you, you, you can, it's inexhaustible. Yeah, and again, that's where yeah, that's where after a certain amount of times, that's where they, that girl or whoever decided to put their focus right. They put yeah. their focus on something that isn't necessarily in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do that when I listen to music, right? Yeah. Like uh, I just saw Book of Mormon this week. Oh, cool! It was great, yeah. super fun. And like the thing about seeing a show that you have the score to memorized mm-hmm. is that you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff you didn't see before, because and you're going to see more than someone who's entire first experience of that is in like the seat next to you right right because they're they're hearing the music they're paying attention to everything i'm there i know the story i know the music so i'm just looking at the visuals and i'm picking up little tiny things that like you know my friend i was with didn't notice them because she was too busy focusing on everything yeah Mm. well i used to have a job this is a bit off but i used to have a job where i worked in product placement Mm. so i would put products in television and movies and what, and then after that, I we had to make sizzle reels for our clients. Right. And so I would watch movies in fast forward, and TV <laughs> shows in fast forward. This is right. back in the time of the VHS. Oh, uh, and I would watch it in fast forward until I could, and and I my eyes were trained to like find a Coke can right. or whatever it was, and then pause. And it was like it was oh. kind of a weird way to watch movies. It's just like Whoa. fast forward until I'd see the product that was the client, and then we'd take that clip and send it to them and. That's kind of cool. It was pretty weird. <laughs> but I ended up like, I ended up like, for even now, like I'll watch a movie and everything that's going on in the foreground, I'm I'm, in, I'm in, ingesting it. But in the far back, if I see like uh, Pepsi, I'm like, oh, there it right. is. <laughs> you've, got, you've got that little <laughs> personality weird... inside yeah. that seeks out Pepsi in, oh, man. in movies. That's awesome. Talk about a really useless <laughs> skill. like And like a, and like an annoying one, like watching a movie with my girlfriend and being like, oh, Pepsi, who cares? <laughs> I noticed, uh, have you seen The Mindy Project? I've seen some of it at the at the like this first season. Right, it's gotten like really solid over the years, and in the most recent episodes, they uploaded to Netflix uh, this week, I think. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, McDonald's is doing all day breakfast, and so I think in the first episode, um, she like gets her lunch, and it's like McDonald's breakfast and also fries. And she's like excited about it. And then I think every episode after that, every time you see her eating lunch, it's McDonald's breakfast again. <laughs> and I noticed every single time. <laughs> huh. Yeah, they put that in. They put that in there now because yeah. people don't don't do ads anymore. Yeah. People can TiVo and jump off jump off ads. So mm. uh, it's kind of cool. I was uh, but I did this a long time ago. So it was like they were still like we'd get scripts and, and look for places to put these products. But huh. Is know. it? Do you think it's more on on the rewatch that that becomes effective? Like it's. Whoever develops, because something, something like Coke, a little bit. But a lot of the time, with something like Coke, like Coke is really often pushing the like family, yeah, like, the feelings kind of brands. <laughs> so it's interesting to think that maybe it's exactly those movies. Like if they just put Coke in every movie, you'll only notice it in the movies you love the most. 
because mm. you watch them yeah. 10 times, but then that's well, where the association comes from. It's also that people kind of have to do it. Mm. And that's what's most interesting about it because you can't use them without their permission. Mm. And so uh. unless you want to have like, uh, you know, a big actor holding a can that says soda <laughs> on it, right? Which would work for Deadpool, but maybe not a lot else. <laughs> yeah, so. it might work for Deadpool. But so just the believability factor, they kind of have to get the rights from Coke, Pepsi, and, you know, mm. And then Pepsi and Coke own almost everything. So then that trickles down to like Nestle and right. all these things. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten off topic a bit, but a little bit. Uh, but that 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 way of watching media with your with your obsessions in mind, I think it's it's very universal. Mm-hmm. Like I watched the I think the Dark Knight Rises um, with our friend Sam, who's a police officer. So I was watching it as a physicist, and he was watching it as a police officer. And we were both really distracted from the believability of the movie, but <laughs> yeah. for completely different yeah. reasons. I would lean over to him and and be like, "Okay, that that's not how a nuclear bomb works. Like that doesn't make any sense at all." And he'd lean over to me and say, "Why are all the police officers going into this one sewer? This is completely absurd." Yeah, <laughs> like that's interesting. But, but for for each other, both of both of those gripes, like the other person's gripes, yeah. would have been completely normal. We just they would have washed into the yeah. background. Your conditioning has got you to to. See the things that are most i guess important to you yeah and so you can't you can't see a piece of media objectively and i guess that's true for anything yeah you can't see the world objectively you see what you've been conditioned to find meaningful and there's also the plus side like you said earlier like for me it would have been more hbo shows like sopranos deadwood mm. the wire that kind of stuff you rewatch those things and you realize not one scene was really wasted Right. Everything was kind of put there for a reason, even mm. if it didn't have payoff. You, like even if it didn't have a payoff in that same season, they made they had a payoff in like three seasons later. Uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. I like I love when I catch like threads that started like seasons before they actually happened. It just it just hit me this week that uh, Kurt Kurt Hummel, the gay guy on Glee. I haven't um, seen that. <laughs> so <laughs> Hummel is the is the name of like a famous brand of porcelain figures okay uh and the cheerleading coach on that show calls him porcelain for like four seasons and i never caught it until this (laughs) week that that's like a direct reference to that last name and it's like a joke they only started making a couple seasons in and i was like whoa but i looked it up and like they totally had planned it since day one that they would eventually like reference it it's like that's great does that relate to his character like does is he a very porcelain figure he's pale (laughs) <laughs> i guess that there's yeah. something <laughs> something yeah. yeah yeah and i've been uh i've been binge watching jane the virgin as well uh mm. which is uh it's a comedy that's sort of framed like a telenovela uh so it's okay. like very dramatic and it's all these sort of like soap opera yeah twists and things um and of course that's the kind of thing where they're setting things up and like i feel like the writers must watch back episodes yeah and be like okay like what did we reference in the first season that we haven't used yet? And like, plant it because yeah, it well, all writers, seems to flow really well. Yeah, they'll write things differently now because yeah. they know that they know that it has a lot of rewatchability and that's it. And they can mm. put things there, or they can come back, watch an old season, and say, "We didn't pay that off yet, and we have a little hole here. Maybe we should pay that off now." Yeah, and, yeah. and it's incredible. It just it blows me away. Yeah, and it's super daunting as a a person who wants to start writing TV. Like, yeah, I watch things and I'm like, I can't do that. It's changed so much over the years now. Yeah. So like everything's very specific now. Yeah. And people are very fickle and they will move away from something very quickly. You mm-hmm. know, you don't give it at like two or three episodes anymore. Yeah. Well, they don't even make full seasons of stuff anymore. It's like yeah. 13 episodes. Yeah. Like 
I greatly prefer that. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like, the, because it's... Well, it's because I, I didn't grow up with TV. So I, I'm not used to having something be a fixed like like media be a fixed part of my life week to week and i think that's what a whole season is really good for right Right. but i'm all the tv i've watched has basically been binge watching and like 12 or 13 episodes is a good amount (laughs) to like get through and then feel like you've finished something and you can stop (laughs) if you've made a season of like 35 episodes and i feel like i'm going to be here for two weeks doing nothing but watch your season i'm just i'm not even going to start yeah. It's like I start I tried to start watching Star Trek Voyager a little while ago. <laughs> I didn't get far. Yeah. It's hard to binge watch Star Trek though. Yeah. Like the episodes are long, sometimes the pacing's weird. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's that's, funny you though know. how like how we've changed about time now, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I think I think cuz we surf around and we do other things, but yeah. we will watch like a lot of YouTube and things and find our articles that we want, like source out the things that are super important to us. But but it's harder for me to be like I'm gonna take a chance on this show that has like five seasons because right. mm-hmm. I do feel like a commitment. Yeah, but it's also shows know that now, right? Yeah. So the way a five season show starts off now is with something that'll grab you. So yeah. Breaking Bad starts out with Walter White running through the desert in his underwear, yeah. and it's like you have no idea what's going on. It's like, okay, this is this is gonna be interesting. But if you yeah, if you go back and watch like even I went back and watched the beginning of Firefly. A little while ago and it was like like that has a very slow start like they build up this like the first episode is 90 minutes long and they build it very like sequentially but it takes you about 45 minutes to be like okay this is where this is going yeah and it's i mean that show did get canceled so maybe they did it wrong but (laughs) but But, it's i I can't imagine a show doing that now yeah well now they have now they show you the world and then they go slow Mm. which is a narrative thing as tom knows they show you the world they show you something big and then they reset it, so and then they then they start to go slow because everything does have to go kind of slow because you need to get to know people in order to care about them, yeah. right? So you have so they do the thing like the Walter White starts in the desert. It's like a it, well, I mean Tarantino sort of started that thing where like putting the you know the a different part of the movie, not necessarily the beginning at the start at the start of it. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, uh, like cutting the movie around so it's like starts with the middle and then. Tells the story a different way. I don't know if Tarantino started that, but it was like my first reference point. Yeah. It's definitely it. a thing he does a lot. Yeah, and now they do it on TV shows. Mm-hmm. Now it'll start with something big, and you're like, "Whoa, what is this?" And then Let's here's rewind. the story that you're going to be learning mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah, we have hit the hour mark. Oh snap! This was a really good conversation. Yeah, this yeah, was really this neat. was fun. I enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. thanks little for Little improv nerdy. But, uh, I mean, that's what we were... Uh, the thing is, it applies to a lot of things. So. That's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Improv, yeah. general rules for life. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Mm. Sweet. I don't really have a song to play us out, but... That's fair. Um, you guys can uh, support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash up for discussion. If you give at least $5 a month, you can give us stuff to talk about, and we will talk about it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Down With Talking. I'm at Tom Zlatni. Tim's at Acapella Science Daily on Twitter. No, I'm not on Twitter. Fair enough. Uh, Dale's got a show coming up this week, Troubadour, 10 o'clock on Friday. Yeah, this uh, this Friday, April 28th, 10 p.m., uh, 3697 St. Laurent Boulevard. That's Montreal Improv. Uh, and we have shows every weekend. Check out MontrealImprov.com. Yeah, I'm actually in two shows this weekend as well. Uh, so come on out, 
Friday for Troubadour, Saturday for Indie Night, and Sunday for the 8.30 Narrative Grad Show. Yeah, and we also have uh, free drop-in workshops. Again, check the website. So if any of this sounds interesting to you or if you just want to come and meet some people and have some fun, again, MontrealImprov.com, free drop-in workshops. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for, coming. for coming. Cool. Do I get another shanty? No. Nope. Sing us another song. I only remember the first verse. You're not going to sing us a song about people dying in shipyards? Fun.